at this time, I would like to invite our kiddos, ages three through about third grade, to follow Miss Sarah out to the lobby slash narthex for kid time. And they are stumbling over themselves to get to kid time <laughs> and to enjoy that great experience out there. That's going to be great. Now, for us who are here, before we even get started, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about here. Because we're, as we're continuing through our Welcome Home series, here's the goal. I want to encourage you to find your safety, not in a brick-or-mortar building, but in the loving arms of our Savior. Because though we live in an anxious and in a trying world, our home, our safe place, is in the salvation and eternal life that's given to us by Jesus. I'm going to tell you why I want you to find your safety there. Is because it's, it's so vital for us because everything else is going to shift and eventually fails. But in contrast, he is constant and his love is certain. So as we are gathered together as, as his church, I want to welcome you home where you are perfectly safe in faith in Jesus Christ. Now as we think about safety, I want to ask you, I want to think back, do you remember when you were a kid and you remember playing games like hide-and-go-seek or capture the flag? And I want you to think back to those times and I want you to think, you recall the adrenaline rush as you race from your hiding place in search of the flag or that surge of relief when you made it back safely to base without getting caught. I loved that feeling. Or maybe you played sports as a kid, and, and maybe you remember baseball, and you were rounding home, and you can, you're praying you can safely slide into home before getting tagged out. Or in our family, I know we're trying to teach our kids various games. I just purchased Trouble, which Leah hates that I did that because she thinks it's going to start fights in the home, which it will. But <laughs> the idea of the game is a lot like Sorry, where... All of your pieces are in danger of starting over until they make it home safely. So the idea is home is where we feel safe. Like as kids, we, we recognize that. Even as adults, we recognize that. I love going away on vacation, but there's a certain, I always feel a little bit anxious about leaving my valuables, like my passport, my driver's license, in a hotel safe. That just makes me feel slightly anxious. Or, or constantly watching your bags when you're at the airport to make sure that nothing happens to that. You're always, like, it, vacation's great, but there's a certain amount of comfort, of relief when you get home. Your belongings are safe. You're safe. Even in our regular routines of life, there's a certain amount of safety when we get home. Or at least, there should be. You see, unfortunately, we live in this sinful and in a fallen world, and, and many people don't see home as a safe place. Instead, maybe we see home as a place of conflict, where our time is, is filled with accusation, or argumentation, or passive aggression. It's not a place where we feel safe or where we can relax. Instead, it's a place where we're beaten down or made to feel small. Perhaps other times we experience home as a place of loneliness or emptiness. Empty nesters often lament that since their kids left their house, the house seems devoid of noise. 
devoid of laughter, of any sign of life. Or those who have strained relationships with other family members, whether it's between spouses or siblings or between parent and child. Home might be a place where we're not understood or not appreciated or not free to be ourselves. Still other times we might see home as a burden, especially if there's financial insecurity, right? Rather than it being a place of rest, we're constantly being reminded of the projects that haven't been done yet, the bills that need to be paid, the already tightly stretched budget. Instead of home being a refuge, it feels almost like an anchor holding us down, and we'd much rather start over. You see, home is not always a safe place. And that's true for us today. That's certainly true for the early Christians. See, in, the, in Acts chapter 17, we hear the story of a man named Jason. And Jason is a Christian in Thessalonica. Now, instead of just reading through Acts 17, I want to tell you, I want to retell the story for you. And I want you to imagine the scene. Because there's Jason, and he is hiding in his home. And he's fearful of the mob that's gathering just outside his front door as they're searching for the apostles. And he looks at his makeshift barricade, and he's wondering if that's going to keep them out. Because they're pounding on the door. And the hinges are starting to shake. And then suddenly the door bursts open and the crowd floods in the house and they pin him down to the ground and they demand, where's Paul? Where's Silas? He can barely breathe as they're holding him, but he manages to tell them they're not here. But that wasn't good enough. And the mob drags him out of his house, away from his family, and forces him in front of the city officials. And there he's questioned. And he's accused, and he's fined, and eventually released. And Jason returns home, wondering and fearful about the next time, the next act of violence. What if next time they bring torches? What if next time they take my daughter? See, his life in Thessalonica was one of persecution. His home was anything but safe. Now, as I retold that story, did you feel the sense of injustice? Could you see the hardships and the dangers that are endured by the early believers? Now, in light of that story, in light of that reality that they lived, that they were living, where should Jason feel safe? Where could Jason find his security? Not at home. Not, in, not with the barricade on his door that would break it down or come in through the window. Maybe he could find peace amongst the crowd. Maybe he could find peace. He could arm himself or he could surround himself with a milita of Christians. Not really. They'll take him to court. They'll slaughter him. Their numbers are bigger. Now, there's nothing wrong with arming ourselves, nothing wrong with security systems. Those things are great. Those things are, are amazing gifts. But, but what Jason really needs, and what we need, is a security, is a safe place that cannot be destroyed by people. A security that isn't negated by a corrupted government. A peace that will survive even if the whole world is destroyed. And that 
is what Paul comforts the Thessalonian believers with in our first reading. That's the understanding that Paul tells them. He's writing to Jason. He's writing to to the Thessalonians who are living in that reality. And this is what he says to them. This is what he says to us today. He says, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. See, to give Jason peace in the middle of his nightmare, Paul wrote about the day that Jesus will come back, that he'll judge every soul, even you and me. He writes back and says, justice is coming for all of those who have been treated unjustly. And relief is coming for all who have been burdened. And the kingdom is coming, and our hope and our safety and our security can reside there. Jesus is coming, and when he does, all things will be made right. Or as J.R.R. Tolkien says, everything sad will come untrue. See, in light of present suffering, in light of temporal insecurity, Paul points Christians to their future hope. In 2 Corinthians, he tells us that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Jesus tells us that we should expect persecution, that we will all be hated by everyone because of him but that the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. See, throughout the scriptures, the hope of the Christian isn't described as a safe, happy, healthy, wealthy life in the here and now. It's instead, it's described as the future rescue and deliverance from a broken world and from our sinful nature. Our refuge is found in Jesus, in the grace that he poured out for us on the cross, and the eternal life that he won for us through the resurrection. And Luther picked up on that. He picks up on it in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Because in it, he writes this. He says, were they to take our house, our goods, honor, child, or spouse, though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom is ours forever. Should we lose everything, we've not lost him. He remains our refuge. He remains our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Now we hear that. We hear that truth. We hear it throughout scripture. But man, we wrestle with it, don't we? Like that's, we say, okay, that's, that's great in, you know, in theory, but in practice, that's really hard to live out. Like we, we, it's hard for us to sing that section of a mighty fortress is our God. Because though, we, though we're exhorted to fix our eyes on the eternal refuge that is in our Savior Jesus, it's the troubles of the world. It's the hurt of our hearts that are always before us. And even though the words of Scripture point us to our safe place that is God's kingdom, the voice of the enemy is in our ear. And he's telling us that that's not enough. That our, we need to look for something more. For something now. And oddly, it, it reminds me of, at the time it was pretty funny, 
uh, reminds me of this, this event that occurred this week at our school. Because this week, we had a petting zoo come to Crown of Life for our preschool students. And during the event, the sheep jumped the fence and ran out into the soccer fields just out there. Now, this is all happening just outside of my window. Like, I'm watching all of this. Hilarious. As, you know, that the handler is, like, running after the sheep and, and trying to catch this thing. You know, catches the sheep and drags the sheep back into the pen. And it made me think a little bit about this. Because, like, the sheep was perfectly safe in the pen. Like, that's where the sheep is safe. But it saw the field. It saw what it looked like freedom. And so it opted for that instead. But what happened is, unknowingly, that sheep placed itself in danger. Right? It was, there's a busy road right there. Cars are not looking for sheep. So what happens is that this, this sheep exchanged true safety for false security. And does that give us a little bit of a better picture of our gospel lesson when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and he calls us the sheep of his pen. Because like, like that foolish sheep, we're often tempted to jump the fence of God's law in search of false security. Right? Pridefully, we begin to trust our feelings over God's truth because when we lose focus on eternity, we seek safety in immediacy. When we lose focus on eternity and the hope that we have there, we seek safety in immediacy. We look outside the pen and we see what looks to be greener grass, what looks to be a freer life, what looks to be a better refuge. But the security that's offered by the world is always going to fall short. And we place it in so many different things. Right? Some, sometimes we place our confidence in our bodies, in our health. And that's especially tempting when, you know, for the younger people who think that they're invincible. But for those of us who have been around a while, we know how fleeting health can be. It takes one trip to a trampoline park and that's it. See, eventually, our bodies wear out. Our bodies give out. Our bodies fail us. And all the more as we get older, we realize that truth. That's not a great place to put our security. Or perhaps we look and we place our safety in our wealth, especially in this area. And that, that there's actually good wisdom, right, behind storing up for the future. But as we've all experienced through this, this latest and recent inflation, it's not a guarantee. Money can be here today and gone tomorrow. And rather than allowing us to rest, Really, when we only focus on financials, it brings more worry than it does peace. Or perhaps we've thought of our relationships as that safe place. And that makes sense, right? Because that's part of God's original design in creation. Our relationship with one another is supposed to be one of confidence and commitment. But because we've all been corrupted by sin, we fail each other. In every kind of human relationship, we fail each other. Even though these are gifts from God... We can't expect them to fulfill us. We can't expect them to make us whole. We can't expect human relationships to keep us safe. Or maybe still other times we try to, to find and place our security in our own actions, 
right? We're going to be productive, or we're going to be good. And the Reformation was primarily focused on dispelling that false hope. Because being good cannot save us. And checking the boxes cannot redeem us. If our hope is found in ourselves, or if it's found in the things of this world, then we have great reason to fear. If we've sought our safety outside of Christ, then the troubles of this world are going to overwhelm us, and they're going to overcome us, and we're going to find ourselves wondering where our true security lies. That's where the Thessalonians were, wondering where their security lies. They didn't feel safe in their homes, and we don't always feel safe in this life. But the reality for both them and for us is that we are safe in his presence. We are safe in his kingdom. That's what we hear in, his, in God's word for us today. It says, in Isaiah 40, it says, The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So we look outside the pen and we see these, this, what looks to be greener grass, but that grass, those false securities of this world that we cling to, they all fall away. They all wither. But it's God's word of power. It's God's word of love. His word of grace that endures forever. That's where true safety is found. It's found in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, who exhibits power over all things, who expresses love for sinners like us. He's the powerful God who tells us that he overcomes the world and all of its troubles. That he's the loving God who demonstrates his mercy by dying for our sins. So when we're faced with our own weaknesses, with our own failures, with our own sin, we don't run to our actions. We don't run to the things of the world. No, we run to Jesus who suffered and died that we would be forgiven. Who overcomes our guilt. Who overcomes our shame. Or when we're faced with the dangers of this world and the brokenness that we experience around us. We don't take refuge in man-made things, but in Christ who brings justice. Because Christ came and Christ comes so that we would be restored to him forever. That we would find our security in his grace. That our hope would be in his eternal inheritance that is firmly established in his kingdom for us. Now in 1 Peter we hear about this. We see two things. First we see how Jesus is our example of what it looks like to trust the Lord and then what he does in our stead for us. Here's what it says in 1 Peter. It says he, that is Jesus, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's the example. And here's what he does in our stead. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have been returned to the shepherd, to the overseer of your souls. As Christians who are living in a world corrupted by sin, who are living with hearts that struggle with sin, what do we do? We entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. We trust in him who died for us that we could live for his righteousness. We rest in the assurance that suffering is temporary, but God's salvation in Christ is everlasting. So as Paul encouraged Jason and the Thessalonians, so may we be encouraged to persevere in faith 
through the trials that we endure today. Why? Why persevere? Because justice is coming. Relief is coming. Jesus is coming. And he brings his kingdom with him. Only let us trust in the good shepherd. In our good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures. Who leads us beside quiet waters. Who restores our souls. Because he is our refuge. And he is our strength. And we are safe in his arms. So let's trust in his sacrifice, the forgiveness that he gives to us. Let's trust in his victory and the life that he gives to us. Because in Christ, you are welcomed home where you are perfectly safe. Now as we conclude, as we close our time in prayer, I think the words of Psalm 31 are really appropriate here. It's a Psalm of David. And I want you to, to join me and join David in this prayer. So together, we're going we're gonna to pray this psalm as we close our message today. Let's say this together. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Never, let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Amen.